Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Yes, indeed, Mario. This is Michael D. Higgins here. I'm absolutely over the moon that you're having Michael Harding, one of Ireland's greatest philosophers and poets, uh, well, excepting one, of course, on your podcast today. I can't wait to hear it. Good luck, August Kolosov. And uh, please, keep trying me for the podcast. I'll eventually relent. Don't worry. Mario, it's me. It's Tommy, Tommy Tiernan. Do you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing Michael Harding on your podcast. Really look forward to it. Really look forward to it. He reminds me of me without the jokes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's kind of... Do you know? Mario, this is Fintan O'Toole. In a sense, I am looking forward to the latest um, iteration of your podcast, if I could call it that, because it seems you are attracting now a kind of superior intellectual um, entity onto your show. And that is why I have dedicated my ears um, to listening to it. If you really want to up the ante, I think I might have an idea for you to go really, really, really upmarket. Okay, thank you. And as it happens, Fintan O'Toole himself will be a guest on this very podcast very, very soon. I know that because I recorded an absolutely fascinating interview with him. Um, I think it's fascinating anyway, and I hope you do too, during the week. And I really cannot wait to share it with you. I'm, it's the first podcast that I think we're going to turn it into a double bill um, because there's so much to get through here. And I think you're going to hear a side to Fintan that you may not have come across before. But first up, today's guest. It's very hard to describe this man as well. He's an author, a playwright. He's a columnist. He's a philosopher. He's a former priest. He's a poet. He's a sage. He's a podcaster. The list goes on. Just truly... Um, a spellbinding individual who thinks very deeply about life, love, death, and has the eloquence and personality to pull it off, to make us all listen to what he says about them all. It's, of course, the great Michael Harding. And as you can imagine, things got deep, real deep, real fast. And I enjoy it when they go like that with Michael. So strap yourselves in. But we also had some crack, too. The great mistake we make in life is listening to gurus, listening to people, thinking this will work, that will yeah. work, the other will work. Yeah. And then we make a soup of what we're doing because mm. we go from one fella to the other. <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to lose weight, yeah. doing diets. Exactly. When I'd come up to radio stations in Dublin in the early days, 25 years ago, people would actually say, in kind of very, very good cut-class Dublin accents, how far did you come? <laughs> yeah, OK. And you'd say, Leitrim, oh... Far And will you be staying over? (laughs) You'd hardly make it back in one day, would you? Look look at, for example, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's excitement, wildly anxiety excitement, comes out of the fact that he's never heard somebody say, life is like this. It's okay that it's all falling apart. It's okay that universities are terrible. It it doesn't matter. Mm. There'll be good stuff will come out of it as well. Louis Walsh. You know Louis Walsh? No. Um, Louis Walsh, the, 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 the manager, the, the bands. No. You don't know him? <laughs> Who's Louis Walsh? Do you know X Factor? I knew a Joe Walsh. Is he Remember, related to Joe Walsh? No, not the tour operator. I, no. Oh, fuck it, so I'm not, I couldn't be arsed. We'd leave it there. <laughs>
The full chat with Michael Harding is coming up after a brand new comedy sketch exclusive to listeners of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. This week's news is, of course, dominated by the... Oh, I don't know. The tragedy of this new and very unwelcome COVID restriction. Um, The news about bars and nightclubs closing at midnight were a particular shock to everybody, particularly nightclub owners. But don't fear, Joanne McNally and Vogue Williams, they from the My Therapist Ghosted Me podcast, are all over it. They're here with a very helpful guide about how to make the most out of this mm, shitty situation. Oh my God, Joanne! What? Have you seen these new restrictions? Oh, I can't be dealing with these nether twats. They do me head in. But what are we going to do? I mean, it's... A... No worries, Vogarooni. Joanne has a plan. But the nightclubs are going to be shut at 12pm. Yeah, but they open at 6pm. Yes, yeah, so? So start your fucking day earlier, girl. What? Roll back time. Go through the fucking wormhole like your man Morgan Freeman or whatever his name is. Roll everything back, chickaroo. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I mean, Simples. I... Start working at 2am. Get yeah. those fucking spreadsheets done or whatever they do for a living. Get them out early. Finish work by 9am. Well, then what? I mean... Yeah, what? hit the gym and work on your arse. Deadlifts, squats, whatever it takes. <laughs> your arse looks amazing, by the way. Cheers. 11am... You're done. Work's yeah. over. Lorry the steak into you. It's dinner time. Easy on the potatoes. Then 1pm, drinky booze. Okay, yeah. Cool. By 4pm, we're doing fat frogs, singing Jew a fucking leaper. I see what you mean. By 6pm, we're off our bollocks. Totally. Complete slut mongers. Hit the clubs at 6.30pm. Yeah. 6.35, you're shifting some dirty-ass gonk from Fallon and Slow called Doug. <laughs> I love the sound of Doug. Yeah, I'll be dug out of him anyway. Giddy up, Dougster. Oh, you're brilliant, Joanne. Do you know something, Vogue? What? We're going to ride our way out of this pandemic. Cheers. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Loving Doug. <laughs> I love Joanne. <laughs> well, I like Vogue as well. But I don't know. I'm fascinated. I just love doing sketches which feature Joanne and Vogue. I don't know. There's something about her. Joanne, I think. Um, So if you're listening to last week's episode or have been keeping an eye on my social channels, you'll be aware that we have a 58-inch Samsung Smart 4K Ultra HD TV to give to one lucky listener. Check out the show notes for this episode or the video on my Twitter or Instagram for more details. By the way, I'm on Instagram as well, yeah. Mario Rosenstock official. It is to celebrate the Curry's Black Tag sale, which is now on. There are some serious deals to be had. And as expected, word is spreading fast. Welcome back. We're joined as usual by Jamie. It's no problem, Nick. Uh, Mika. <laughs> and of course, Roy Keane. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. Guys, is Harry Maguire offside here? Jamie. You know, it's so close. It's almost impossible to tell you. <laughs> I can't see. I just can't. Roy, it is difficult to make out what well, is happening. I can't see at the end of the day because we don't have proper screens. Sorry, I'm not quite with you, Roy. I mean, I'm what? sick of this nonsense. Every week, can't see this, can't see that. If we had proper screens, we could see. Yeah, but Roy, what are you suggesting? I Why mean, aren't you down in Curry's? Why aren't we down in Curry's? Curry's black tag sale. What, what? Quality TVs, great screens, unbelievable prices. I mean, nobody beats these lads for prices at the end of the day. Nobody, nobody. So, so what are we talking about, Roy? What I am mean, I talking about? What am I talking about? Sure, it's all here in front of me. JVCs, Panasonics, Sony Bravias, 58-inch, 65-inch, 75-inch. And these TVs are all smart, unlike Harry Maguire. They're flying out of Currys. Up to €1,300 off large-screen TVs at the end of the day. It's a no-brainer. Honestly, I don't know why you lads are not racing down to Currys right now. Hello? 
Lads? Hello? The Black Tag Sale. Top of the range TVs. Unbelievable prices. Oh, credit to Corries. <laughs> so listen, do what the man says. Do what Roy says. Get yourself down to Corries. Check out my show notes um, at the bottom of the episode to enter the draw for this massive TV. This is a popular one, folks. We've already had quite a lot of entries. Um, get your entries in fast. We'll draw the winner at the end of the month. So, do you want to meet one of the most compelling, deep-thinking, wonderfully eccentric, cuddly, uh, charming, endlessly fascinating men in Ireland? Yeah, I think Michael Harding is one of those. And he's standing by. And I kicked off the chat by reminding him of the last time we met in person. The last time I met you, Michael, was on my radio show on Today FM. Yeah. And we had a really good chat. Now, I know you don't remember it because you just told me you forget everything. I do, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, let me re-enlighten you. <laughs> and What's that your is, name? My name, is Ro- my name is Romeo. And um, I thought you were Vincent Brown. Oh, yeah. Well, I was a second ago. Okay. So, so um, you said, I remember you saying something to me about him. Um, What's this thing that you said about, about what was it you were saying? I'm trying to do an impression of you now. Uh, uh, could you not do an impression of me? It I could be, do an know, impression of you. Yeah, I do. I'm doing and, and it. I'm doing it. Me. I'm doing it. People had listened to you and said, that's Michael I'm, Harding. I'm, do, I'm doing an impression He's of you. He's taken off Michael Harding. For, we for, should fucking... For oh, fuck Jesus. sake, Lord. I'm doing an impression of you, God. I'm sake. after using the dog. And the last thing you said to me was, on that radio show, you said, what's this pet, pet, cat, pot, cat, pet, pet, pod, pod, podcast. P-R-W-D. Yeah. Podcast. And we explained podcasting to you. Now, two years later... You have your own <laughs> podcast on Patreon. Yeah. You little swindler, you. But it's the only podcast you shouldn't it's, be listening to. It's not, to. it's a podcast. It's completely unprofessional. So, it's ropey. It's full about religion, shite, mm. Buddhism, Christianity. I didn't go near Islam yet because I'd be afraid that, you know what I mean? You'll get I, shot dead. No, that's a wrong thing to say now. I wouldn't mean it like that at all, but I'm mm. good friends. Oh, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't like to insult them but, all the kind of... Why, but why do you have to insult them? Why don't you just talk about it? Well, my ignorance insults everybody. You know, like I insult people who are religious and I insult people who are atheists and people who are secularists. I've Everybody never heard is you insulted insult because I know nothing about any of those things and I talk about every single one of them like I was a feckin' philosopher. So much so that people now call me a philosopher. Well, now we have the philosopher, Michael Harry. I'm not. Anybody who did the path degree in philosophy when I was in college would be. Breaking the sight laughing. <laughs> yeah. Listening to Michael well, Harding being called well, a philosopher. Well, hold on just for, moment, just for listeners of this podcast who are listening at the moment. Then they say I'm an ex-priest. I say I'm not an ex-priest, I'm a priest. I am a priest. priest. Always be a priest. Always be a priest. Uh, yeah, it's always in your blood. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they, 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 they just before you came on this podcast, and you said... my grandmother I, was Jewish, by the way. She was Polish. Oh, is Jewish. that right? Yeah. yeah. Go away. Yeah. Uh, by the name? She was... I don't know how to pronounce it, but it'd be like Fried in... in Polish, Marta Fried mm. or Malka Fried, and she lived in an area in Poland, then came to Ireland, probably by way of London and Liverpool in the 1870s, and married a man who was in the calico trade, who was, you know, in the rag trade called Michael Harding. Mm. Uh, and is that why you visit Krakow? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was wondering. Yeah. I, well, it's a kind of a, I mean, it's not that I found, I found her actually in the, in the Jewish Museum in Warsaw. I did research there and or the researcher there did the work and found an exact match for the woman that I have records of of my great grandmother in Ireland. But it's a circumstantial match because she became Frit, F-R-I-T-H is the way her name was spelled Mm. when she was in Ireland. 
but there's no existing, there's no record of her li- existing before her Catholic marriage. Okay. In Ireland, but there's an exact replica <laughs> of a person who exists being born and registered, but after that in Poland, no, no record of her dying or marrying. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the figure that's the same person, and the other thing was that I had this beautiful. I still have a medallion with the Star of David and the name for God and and then the blessing, the, the you know, Lechaim in the middle of it. And that would have been a pendant people wore as an identification thing. And my father carried that so that it was in his papers when he died. And it was with the burial details of Martha. And there I found her eventually, uh, the grave in the... the Taney Parish, Church of Ireland Parish, out in uh, Dundrum. Mm. That's where she's buried. <sighs> okay. Is the coffee okay? God, that got very serious. That's fine. You said... I ruined your whole no, podcast. No, no, two things he said, you said, listeners, two things he said See, before See, the trick could... if you have a good podcast like mine is to ruin everybody no, else's. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the two things he said before he came on the podcast are, he said, thanks for having me on there. Thanks for... Oh, why do you want me on at all? I'm only a boring old bollocks. That's right. And, and I went, well, listen, let's just get I the... Bo- I think I said fart, actually, rather than No, you said bollocks. bollocks. Did I? Yeah. yeah. Just get the bo- boring old bollocks thing out of the way. I so you I said... I normally don't do, use that word. It's a bit too, you know, overtly masculine mm. and... Uh, a little bit offensive in that sense, you know. Okay. Fart is better. Methane. Yeah, you definitely didn't say fart. And we'll talk about methane and the environment later. Okay, right. Yeah, and hardwood trees and all that oh, sort of yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. I know Absolutely, you lo- I know yeah. you love talking Absolutely, about that, yeah. all, all that stuff. Ah. But you said you were boring old bollocks. And yes. one of the things that I think, you're, you're, down, you're, you're underselling yourself. You think so? I do. Okay. Because one of the things that I think people really are drawn to you about yeah. is that, I'll try and put this in, a, in, in the best way I can. Okay. Um is that when you speak on the radio yeah. or when you write your columns, let's say, in the Irish yeah. Times, people think, OK, this fella now, he, he's, he's, he's a bit of a deep thinker and, he's, and, and let's see what he does. And you'll say something like, I went into a place and I talked to a woman Hi. and we talked about scones. Hi. And that's all we talked about. It's a huge, big subject. Scones. Yeah, scones. And people are listening to you and they go, I could talk about scones. Yeah. He's accessible. Yeah. He's making it easy. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So in other words, you aren't heavy. Yeah. You actually talk about just the simplest yeah. things in the whole world. In a kind of, I suppose, in a Kavanaugh-esque kind of uh, making, turning the beauty from the banal. Or, or a Camus-esque maybe, you know, who yeah. knows, yeah. Well, how, like how I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to channel existential anxiety about the kind of secular age by, or you're just talking about fucking scones. By meditating on scones. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you make people feel um, relaxed and safe. We have to talk about these things. Yes. But scones and God. That's and it. Scones and God. The lack of scones and too much God. Maybe. Or the other way about. But you make people feel warm and safe. And as, okay. if, as if that they, so in other words, you're not too heavy. Is that maybe a bad thing, like that it make them feel warm and safe? Like it sounds a bit like a blanket. Well, I prefer you didn't do, make them sound like Jordan Peterson would make them, you know, <laughs> that you intimidate them. Well, or I listen to Jordan Peterson. Vincent I don't Brown. listen to myself. <laughs> yeah. Why do you listen to me? Why? Well, because you're not interesting and that's not an inconsiderable thing to say. Okay. Um, here's, here's another reason why I think people listen to you or, right. or, or, or read you, right? Because I was just reading one of your columns there. I was reading up about you. And people love the way you just talk about normal stuff. Here's a quote from you in one of your columns. Can I do your voice? I'll try and do it. I'd love to do it. I was doing a column during the week. And I started writing about constipation. 
I thought to myself for a second, well, even a heart attack is sexy. Depression is really cool, but maybe constipation is pushing it. Then I said, fuck it, I'll put it in. <laughs> so, yeah. you, so you write about, how do you write your columns well, every I week? Do, I do, number one, I don't write them since last March because, I, because I've been sick again yeah. with constipation <laughs> and other stuff. Uh, so I haven't had a column. I'll, I'll be back in the new year, I yeah. hope. Maybe March, maybe January, I don't yeah. know. But anyway, uh, yeah, I write the columns, I suppose, about very things that matter to me. And if, if what matters to me is a scone, then that's what I write about. But if it's also that I was ill or depressed, uh, I write about it. I mean, what can I say? It's it's like... Do you ever feel guilty after you write about it? I'll, I'll try and explain to you what I mean if you want. No, I, I think there's a need. I think there's a need in me first to embody my confusion, right? I'm actually living through a life which is blessed in one way. I feel very fortunate to have health, to be, you know, lovely relationship, bit of a family, whatever. But I'm also living through a period of extraordinary confusion of trying to grip something that I think is true and then outgrowing it and then going into a whole negative space or a period. And then a new thing comes up that I start believing in. So I'm constantly trying to kind of embody who I am. You, you know the way you go to a therapist and you, you, you basically kind of say who you are. The therapist asks you, who are you? That's really what the therapist is doing. And you're there, you know, meandering through all the times that your mother didn't look at you in the pram and because she was on her iPhone and, had, and she shouldn't have had an iPhone in 1950. So there's all that complicated sort of stuff that you're dealing with, but you're really trying to say who I am. And when you fall in love, what you really want out of love is for somebody to hear you to hear you saying who I am. And when you believe in God, you're actually in some transcendent way believing that there's some ground of being that can understand who you are. The real big anxiety is this thing of who, can I say that? You know, who the, you mm. know, who the f- am I? You no, say it. Um, who the fuck am I? It's like, that's the loneliness that grips us, that grips me looking in the mirror in the morning when there's nobody else in the bathroom. I'm just wondering, who am I? And how do I negotiate today? How do I get through? Who do I have to meet? Mario, who else? How do I deal with that? How do I talk to them? And You know, putting on a face to meet the faces that you meet. We're all doing it. And it's, it's a kind of a shared loneliness. So I can't, I couldn't be a writer that's making up stuff outside myself. And I realised that at a very early age, like when I was writing as a teenager, I got, you know, short stories in my 20s and, you know, new Irish writing. I I knew that more and more what I wrote in plays or in books was getting closer and closer to memoir rather than fiction. Because memoir, memory is not about the past. Memory is the creative way that we invent the future. That's what memory does. It's like the, the foundations of how we, how we embody. We embody stuff. And the foundation of it is memory. And the future is hope to, to go forward into something, whatever it is, a relationship, a new house, whatever your dream is, right? So I, I find it very, very confusing. And I can't imagine being able to write about anything else. So the idea that you'd write about something and think as you edit it, oh, well, this is only about scones or this is only about constipation. I'll, I'll cut that out. I, I can't do that. Mm. I have a compulsion to 
talk about awful stuff, you know. <laughs> no, but you see, that's it. Oh, God, I got you, very you, But that's it. You just did yourself down again. Did I? Well, you said you write about this awful old stuff. Yeah. But like, this is what I think your attraction is to people. But okay, but maybe the attraction is that everybody else recognizes this is awful old stuff. That the stuff, you know, that there's some kind of, there's some kind of real liberation, real peace, real kind of enlightenment comes when you deal with the awful old stuff, even the fact mm. of death. Yeah. Like, like, look at the amount of stuff we try and grasp to avoid the idea that there's death. Right. Look, look at, for example, yeah. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's excitement, his kind of wildly anxiety excitement comes out of the fact that he's never heard somebody say, you know, like life is like this. This is the way it is. Mm. It's, it's OK that it's all falling apart. It's OK that universities are terrible. It, it doesn't matter. Mm. There'll be good stuff will come out of it as well. There'll be hugely amazing stuff will come out of it, right? So don't get too hung up about how awful it is. Just accept mm. life is awful. The, the coffee, this coffee is really good. But sometimes I've gone into restaurants, even, you know, and this morning I was in the hotel and I was having my breakfast, right? And they always come to you. Do you ever notice they always come before you've had your fucking cornflakes? They come and say, would you like some coffee? And they pour you the coffee. The coffee is there for your cornflakes. Then you're doing the toast at the machine, then you're getting the fried egg, and by the time you sit down, should the coffee's cold. You can't <laughs> yeah, okay. drink it. Why do they do that? <laughs> and sometimes you'd say to the woman who'd come over with the coffee, uh, yes, I'd like coffee, but could you wait until I have my food? And she looks at you like, this guy's not well. I got a problem this He's morning. He's going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I was reading an interview yesterday with John Borman, you know, the filmmaker, John yes. Borman. He's about 87 or 88, yeah, yeah. 88 or 99. And we was talk- he was talking about death. Uh-huh. And like he was talking about the idea that um, basically all of life is just a scramble. Yeah. All of life is just a scramble to try and forget about death. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it is very funny yeah. how all of us astutely and assiduously avoid death yeah. completely yeah. until by some miracle, it happens to us all. Yeah, yeah. And it's like somebody dies and you go, I don't believe it. That's right, yeah. I don't. Only, oh, Jesus. That's, only 86. that's a terrible You're shock. Young man. That's a terrible shock. And I'll go, well, Jordan Peterson come back. Are you sure it was a terrible shock? Yeah. Considering that every single human being of the 14 billion people who have ever existed on the earth have fucking died. Yeah. Was it really a shock? Yeah. And I but guess... And I guess it's not a shock that, yeah. that, that we die. But yet we all try to pretend that we're not going yeah, to die. Yeah, and Jordan and Peterson is in the middle of the square with the placard. It's the kind of 17th century placard. You're all going to die. That's it. And we don't want to see him. It's all going to turn out bad. And we don't want to see it. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm saying we spend all our lives. We do. Uh, we spend avoiding all our lives it. avoiding. Avoiding av- it. No, but avoiding thinking about it. Yeah. So that Absolutely. everything we're doing, yeah. the scones that you're talking yeah. about, the chat with the lady in, in Donegal in the restaurant, yeah. the, the idling away of the time, it's yeah. to forget about the fact that we're dying and yeah. going to yeah. die. Un- unless, you see, there's two ways of looking at this. One, it can be kind of a really compulsive life, you know, a compulsive life of grasping, which is really in denial of death. And then if you, if you come to accept death, not in a kind of, not in the Jordan Peterson way, like, you know, it's the Titanic and it's appalling, but in a way that it's okay. It's like, it's autumn now and the leaves are falling off me trees in Leitrim. It's okay. We, it's not going to happen to everybody and it'll happen everybody together, which is one of the consoling things as you get into your, you know, late 60s, maybe 70s. Everybody else is getting old as well. 
Do you know what I mean? Talk to me more about that because I'm afraid of dying. Well, that that is, I think one of the big fears of death is the isolation of it, the loneliness mm, of it. That you, the ending. That the ultimate cut off, it's you they're coming for. It's you. <laughs> it's me. It's Forget you. about everybody else. Yeah, it's just no, you. No, it, it's, it's the tax man. There's a great ghost story in, uh, it was told in um, in Monaghan and it's a famous <laughs> story about Ross Moore house, the big house there, the Leslie's house. And, Castle uh, Leslie. Yeah, yeah, and somebody was in it, you know, on holiday and sleeping over and they were in the upstairs bedroom over the library and they woke up in the middle of the night and they saw lights off, a, you know, something coming up the driveway and it was a hearse and it came to the door and they went into the library and they came out with a coffin and they put a coffin in the back of the hearse and then they went back in and you could, you could hear them underneath in the library and they took another one that could hear, you know, the big coffin moving and then two coffins were put in the hearse and he's looking out like in terror at the hearse and the fellow with the big top hat at the back of the hearse turns his face and looks straight up at him and says the room for one more. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's that kind of sense that that death could come to us. It's like a lonely experience because it's going to be you in some sort of eternal Mogadon room for the rest of eternity. And that's an appalling thing if you think about it like that. So we are afraid of death. For me, it was a loneliness that hit me deeply when I started to get ill about 10 years ago. It wasn't a serious illness, but it was the most serious one I had. And coming at like late 50s, it began to really affect me and I sink into a kind of depression. The concept of the loneliness. Yeah. The thought that that might be approaching. Yeah, I think, I think you can talk about it intellectually, but it's, it's only when you suffer a little knock on the door, intimations of mortality come with an illness or something, even though it's not a serious illness. But it, it really kind of focuses you that um, I suppose every day is precious. You know, that you can live with the scones, you can live with the coffee, you can li- live and meditate on small little things and you can find them so blissful that you nearly go mad with bliss. Now, how is that? Because... You stopped worrying about that yeah. and you've started living life in the day to day. The other living, when you're unconscious of death, the other living is then a kind of repressive thing about, I don't want to think about that, therefore I want a new car. I understand. Right? It's flipping it. If you flip it and say, listen, the death's going to come like a leaf falling off a tree in Leitrim, it's okay. But now, look at that little coffee. It's beautiful. Mm. I, I really do. I passionately feel that. I, I feel how your lips can move, how your eyes can see, how, yeah. this miracle of being here. Finding wonder. Finding wonder. Mm. If, if I could mention, like, being But here. isn't this what, can, isn't this a bit what Kavanaugh was doing as well? Oh, totally. Yeah. Kavanaugh was really a mystical poet. I'm sorry for saying it. Yes, but, yes. But he transcended the kind of narrow Catholicism. He dealt with all that in The Green Fool. And he wrote meditations and, and serene uh, poems that kind of are opaque and open out a sense of presence within nature, which no other uh, writer has done since in Ireland, except probably Dermot Healy. But going backwards, you go into the South Ulster area of poets. And I think that what what damaged Kavanaugh, again, was the kind of dysfunctional clash he got into when he came to Dublin. It was actually a tragedy. You know, it's always said that, it, you know, it was great. His brother brought him to Dublin. And all, yeah. I think it was a terrible tragedy. And I think if he lived now in times of internet and accessibility, which allows rural Ireland to live a little bit more equal yeah. with Dublin, 
you know, it's, because it really was colonial. I mean, you you know, Michael D can talk about the colonial British, but I mean, mother of God, the colonial Dublin was, you know, walking around. When I'd come up to radio stations in Dublin in the early days, 25 years ago, people would actually say in kind of very, very good cut class Dublin accents, how far did you come? <laughs> yeah, OK. And you'd say, Leitrim, oh, Far. And will you be staying over? (laughs) You'd hardly make it back in one day, would you? You know, so that's kind of changed now. Mm. I wanted to ask you about the Buddhism. Because I was on, um, I remember, uh, you may be familiar with my uncle. His name is Gabriel Rosenstock. And uh, he's a a poet. Philomore in the hair. Philomore. Yeah. And uh, myself and Gabriel were asked to appear once on um, on, uh, Miriam Meets. Right. Miriam O'Callaghan's programme. And uh, I kind of was doing the lighthearted stuff, yeah. the, the impressions and stuff. And Gabriel was doing the heavy stuff. He started yeah. getting into, you know, like, uh, you know, Mexican stuff and and uh, and and Buddhism yeah, and, and all yeah. this sort of stuff. And I think Miriam got into a bit of a, a kind of a, a rut with him at one stage. And and uh, she went, uh, she went from me doing an impression of Joan Burton, yeah. and I was there like, can I just say Miriam? And she's there. Ha, 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 ha. And then she asked, Gabriel, the Buddhism. And he's there like, what is it about being alive or whatever? And, William, and he said, he has a little tick as well. Yeah. So um, like all professors, kind of uh, a lot of very educated and, and wise people develop, yeah. uh, develop what I would call a professorial tick. OK, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's an affected thing. Yeah. But in his case, it's that it sounds like this. So when he talks, he kind of goes, so let me explain something to you, Michael. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it sounds like he's, he's just, it sounds like he's sort of a rotting calf. Jesus, Mary and St. Joseph. Anyway, he said to Miriam, Miriam, how can, how can we be alive if I haven't even been born? Dun, dun, dun. And Miriam went, but Gabriel, of course you've been born. I mean, there are records in hospitals to yeah. show that you've been born. <laughs> and I was there, Jesus Christ, don't please. And this was... Buddhism, of course, and and that he was talking about yeah. and stuff and life and death and everlasting life and all this. But you said, right, life is precious. Find the wonder yeah. in the Nescafe. Yeah. Find the beauty in the scone. Yeah. Um, but if, if you're not afraid of dying, what what happens? I mean, that that that, that I mean, it, is it just that the lights go out? What's the question? What happens? What happens when? What happens when we die? Now you're going to do a Gabriel on me, aren't we? No. Yeah. Well, at what level? Exactly. Um, Deal with it whatever way you want, then. Go on. What happens when we die? There are different answers. That's probably about the best thing to say. Um, I hope that's not the only thing you say. Buddhism, Buddhism gives answers like, you know, reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time being at a, a teaching of of a, a Tibetan, my, my teacher, the Panchanutral Rinpoche, uh, was given a teaching, and at the end of the teaching he said, any questions? And a, a, a young, enthusiastic student who had kind of really converted to Buddhism, you know, like really taken it like with zeal, and he said, uh, oh, Rinpoche, there's people here today now, they be the first experience of Buddhism, like, so maybe uh, one of the things they have difficulty with is reincarnation. Could you say a few words about that now? Do you know? <laughs> showing, that he, minutes there, John. showing that he was the best boy in the class. <laughs> yeah. And Rinpoche just laughed and he said, maybe it's not true. Yeah. Right. So this is a Tibetan Buddhist teacher saying in relation to reincarnation, maybe it's not true. Let's get on with life. Have a cup of coffee. Yes. And he says that because you'll find it in the Heart Sutra. The Heart Sutra is a great 
Buddhist text. But essentially, the end of it is the conclusion of it is that the ultimate teaching is there is no teaching. Now, th- that, that sense of, you know, truth being contingent, Karl Popper in the 20th century, Heidegger to some extent, and loads of others, but that's a really profound idea and it's a liberating idea. So that when you, in my podcast, I, I, I very devoutly deal with Christianity and I do real prayerful meditations and share them with people, like really private meditations and then share them. And then I move on after about, you know, six weeks of that, I move on and start doing Buddhist stuff. Mm. And I would do any stuff because to me, these are different musics that allow us to embody a, a real deep sense of hope which is not to do with afterlife, it's to do with being here and now. And if you read the Gospels, you find that everywhere the, the Sufi Jesus, let's call him the Sufi Jesus, it'll try and, you know, break away from the idea of Catholic Jesus, but the Sufi Jesus in the Gospels is constantly saying, stop worrying about the afterlife. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. He's like totally the Sufi teacher saying the bliss is here. There's, there isn't a hair's breadth difference between Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings and the teachings in the gospel, right? So, so what is there after? What is there after life? I mean, so there's nothing after life in one sense. I mean, it's, but if you just to, just to the try- question is the soul. What you're really asking is is that in the construct of my identity, which has a physical level, it has a social level, it has a psychological level, it may even have a kind of a a kind of a quasi-ontological sense of being that all the philosophers in the 20th century were going on about. But but the soul is actually deeper than that. And the best description I got of the soul was from a friend of mine uh, from Syria who lives in Ireland, and he's a close friend, but he, he teaches me beautiful things about so- Sufi. And he says, we were having a chat one day, and we were talking about soul, and there was briquettes on the floor. Do you know what the briquette, the Irish briquettes with the green plastic thing yeah. around it. Now, I don't use briquettes anymore because we've stopped using stoves altogether, right? But at the tip, there they were. And he took up the plastic thing like it was a string and he put a knot in it. He, he said, before you knot it is the soul, but then you knot it. That's your body. And then he put another knot. He said, that's your mind. He put another knot. He said, that's your heart. He put another knot. He said, that's your philosophy. That, that every way that we become conscious is in itself a delusional moment, right? But it's it it's a door into being. It's a door into being if you let it sort of be soft in front of you and you're not gripping it as this is the truth. Okay? So so the philosopher or the person eating a bun who grips it like I got the best bun in the fucking shop and I'm gonna fucking enjoy it. Right? <laughs> Or the best house. Um, thank the you best for, house. No, but thank you for Dorky. playing down to me. Just thank you so much for playing down to me. I I'm with gripping, you on the bun bit. All that gripping hmm. is, is, is if you just release the grip yep. and experience the moment, then you're in heaven and then you will choose your own language. And some people will choose the utterly beautiful poetry of Tibetan reincarnation language. Others will choose the beautiful poetry of heaven. I... I do not see you lying in the cold, wet clay of a monument graveyard. I see you in heaven. You know, th- these are utterly beautiful ways of experiencing the here and now. And when we lose this, when we lose God and we lose religion, we have, we have lost poetry and I think we've lost our civilization. When you say God and religion, yeah. I presume you, you're, you, you, 
Oh, God is you're, an idea. You're not talking about theology. No, I'm talking about the, the transcendent space. Yes. Yeah. You know, that, well, I'm talking about it in terms of giving transcendent space a space, or transcendence, giving transcendence a space in the public forum, mm. in the civic forum, which is what religion did. Mm. And, and I think we're just about in Ireland to do, finish that, close it all off and get rid of God in the Constitution. The whole concept, there will be no, no space then for transcendence, mm. intellectually or publicly. And um, yeah, I think that'll be a pity. Mm. But it doesn't matter either. But there See, may be a new kind of awakening. Either. Of course, that's the point. That's always what you have to remember. You're on a wave. Mm. This moment in history is a wave. Gandhi used to say that about tyranny. He used to say, you know, you, when tyranny is there, you think it's forever, but it only lasts a short time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Everything is just passing. I wrote down two words here. Um, uh, this is better than my podcast. You're very clever. Because you're man. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because See, I'm cleverer than you think. Right. I've actually oh. made you do my podcast. No, no, no. I've written no, down no. two this words, is, Michael. I'd be listening to this. Go on. I, <laughs> I've written down nobody, two words right. joy and love. Yeah. And you said, one of your, I was listening to you talking and you said, um, there is, there is joy buried, or maybe buried is even the wrong verb. There is joy deep within us all. Mm. If only we could um, allow ourselves to access it. Mm. Is that, is that, is that actually going back on just what you've just said there? I think it, I it's think allowing it is, yeah. yourself. It, it's, ver- it's very easy to, to grip. It's mm. very easy to be afraid of death. Mm. I think f- fear of death is where it all starts. Mm. And out of that, do you comes, know the lad? Do you know that? La- do you know the lad that goes into Calvin Town? Calvin Town, ah. and he's desperate for a ride. No, I don't know him. Well, let's say there's a fella there. We'll quite give him a name. Okay, give him a name. Okay. Um, call him a name. No, you. I'm not accusing anybody now. We'll right, call him anybody. Charlie. We call him Charlie. Call him Charlie. And he's desperate for a ride. Right, well, you wouldn't call him Charlie in Calvin. You call him Charles. 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 Charles is desperate. Elis- Elizabethan English is very important. Charlie is not acceptable. Oh, God, Jesus, no. Jesus, I know. Charles people. is desperate for a ride. Charles. Charles. It's a beautiful pronunciation of the word, yeah. Charles is desperate for a ride. Aye. And he goes into Calvin Town and he hits uh-huh. the Kilmore Aye. Hotel there in Calvin. And he meets Kiwi. And then he's going in there every weekend and there's no chance of a ride. And he tries harder the next week and there's no chance of a ride. And Aye. he goes in there and he goes, you're going to grab this ride now. And he comes out and there's no ride. He gives up then. The next week he gives up and he goes into the Kilmore. There's no chance of a ride. I'll never yeah. get the ride. And he goes out and he meets herself. Uh. And he's riding for the rest of his life. And that's, that's probably what you're talking about, isn't it? Just shut up, relax and allow things in. I w- yeah. I wouldn't have put it in those terms now, Mary. <laughs> I'm trying. I really I'm wouldn't. I'm trying. I think those are, that's appalling. Like, but there's th- nothing th- wrong with that. really appalling. But what's the idea? Isn't, you don't understand I, my I, idea. It's so layered with tinges of misogyny and, you know, the comedic effect of riding yeah. something other than a bicycle. It's like, no. But, but you know I what would, I'm getting at? I would prefer to go back to the flower. <laughs> oh, no. Forget the flower. You there's, do know what I'm getting there's at. There's somebody called Florence. Stop trying. There's a woman called Florence in Cavan and she wants to have the best begonias ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. And every year mm. she goes to the agricultural show with her begonias and she never wins. Uh, exactly. She, harder and harder she works at it. And then eventually after 30 years, she lets go of the begonias and the weeds come up and she goes off on her way. 
And then she sees in the weeds this lovely big yellow flower and she realises, gee, I think that's a marigold that's grown wild. And she puts it in an old pot and she goes in and she wins the whole thing for prize. That's it. And there was nothing smutty or, or misogynistic about that Correctly. whatsoever. Correctly. And, and we let it out. Correctly. My, we let it out, my one, completely. Tell me a little bit about I'd your... I'd be no good if you edited it out. No, tell me a little bit about your book. Um, I know you wanted to pay tribute to Jacob um, Stack. Yeah, Jacob Stack did the visuals... Of your new book, yeah, which is in a sense a compilation of some of your writings. Yeah, it's 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 a really I think it's an amazing collection of everything from the six memoirs. So it's it's like what the editor saw as the best bits, if you like, yeah. on six memoirs, and then strung them together in a kind of a way that gives you a new shape, a new sense of somebody. And for me, reading the proofs of it was like reading somebody else's book. It was like, so this is who I am. And I have to... Did ad- you recognise yourself? Well, I didn't at first, because I have to admit, I was surprised to see, uh, like, this is all about love. And I wouldn't... I thought I was writing about... Scones. Scones, constipation, <laughs> Tyler's rolls, <laughs> you know, yeah. people growing begonias. And you realise... There's a lot, there's a team going through it, which is about love. Yeah. Right. And so that really impressed me. And the, the, the bulkiness of it with. But does it surprise you, though, considering. It does. I mean, considering we've just talked for, you've just talked for about 10 minutes about matters relating to Buddhism. Yeah. But, and surely okay. that's about universal love. It is. Yeah. But, but let me just explain myself then in terms of the last two things you said when you talked about joy and love, that on both those those are kind of pillars of, of human happiness. On both of them, I have a problem. That joy doesn't come to me naturally, so I dig for it. And part of the digging is sharing the digging because it's like fake it until you make it. The, the more that you share your joy with somebody, the more you will experience joy. And the more you share nightmares, you know, if you endlessly meditate on the nightmare of your life, Sometimes it'll, like, it'll gather its own momentum around you and trap you inside it. So, like, it's, joy is hard to get. So, I'm going to have to give this so to Charles. So that's Charles. why I talk. Okay, I'm going back to Charles again then. Yeah, yeah. Kevin. So let's say Charles goes into his local news agent in Cavan. Yeah. Right? And every week he goes in and he has a solely old puss on him. Uh, so he does. There. Yeah. And Marjorie, who works behind the news agent in Cavan, always gives him a solely puss back. Yeah. And, he, and nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. And then one week he goes in and he says, I'm not going to put a surly puss on me anymore, says Charles. I'm going to go in and smile. I'm going to beam like the sun at her. Yeah. And lo and behold, he beams at Marjorie and she beams back at him because he's spreading the love. Isn't that right? That may be true, but it's also worth saying in relation to Charles that I think it's in, I think it's in the book of Proverbs, a great Jewish book that says, uh, don't try and change anybody. You might as well go down the road and pull the ears off a mad dog. Well, who's he changing? Anybody? No, but no, no. We're, tra- we're, we're thinking of Charles's transformation. Yes, Charles may never come out of. No, but he's faking it till he makes it. Yeah, but he may just keep keep being there. Yeah, but you said, you said, you, you said one of the aspects of joy was was that you had to find that you were digging for it. Yeah, and one of the ways you dug for it was fake it till you make yeah. it. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say that Charles was doing going into the newsagent. He was saying, I, not, I might not feel like smiling, but I'm going to smile because it's going to spread happiness. And yeah. eventually I'll, I, I'll, I'll probably I'll possibly well, help I, me to feel I, happiness. I just don't think it, I don't think it'll necessarily work in a logical way like that. No. I really don't. I know I'm being difficult, but no, no. it's like 
it's like the universe is totally subjective from your point of view, from my point of view, your point of view, whoever. But from my point of view, then I cannot, I can't extrapolate a logic from from Charles's personality that that will work for him, mm. because there's so many people who who like, you know, say, oh, this will work. This is the way to do it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. That's the way to do mm. it. It doesn't work for anybody. Mm. It's it's a strange thing. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. That it's not it's not about. Well, is that the way it would happen? Mm. Is that the way you would get joy? No. The only thing is to say that I can share the joy that I get or I can share my experience of joy yeah. or I can share my lack of joy, which if if I'm kind of trying to reach and dig for joy, then when I share the fact that I'm not finding it and I'm depressed, that too will connect with people. Yes. But it's never about saying, well... This is how I do it. Therefore, no, this would work. for Actually, you. what you described there is is a, is a process of therapy and opening up. OK, exactly. Exactly. Mm. And I'm being the non-directive, non-judgmental counsellor. Yeah, I would not say to Charles, this will work for you. Exactly. Fair enough. Nothing will work but, like that. And that's the great mistake we make in life is, is, is listening to gurus, listening to people thinking this will work, that will yeah. work, the other will work. Yeah. And then we make a soup of what we're doing because mm. we go from one fella to the other. <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to lose weight. Yeah. Doing diets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, spiritual diets. Just in relation to joy, there was one other yeah. word you mentioned, and that was love. Mm. And I think that there's a huge amount of issues for me, and I think it's a very, very big kind of 21st century existential issue. And that is that we're so battered by the 20th century. We're so battered by colonialism, by Auschwitz, by, you know, the way that, you know, maybe we as the wealthy white culture has oppressed other places. We're so bandaged up by that, that it's almost impossible to imagine love. And what happens then is you don't, you don't give any love. Mm-hmm. So, so like... That's I, called cynicism. I see young people like they're so loving, mm. Right? Mm. but they don't feel that. What do you mean? They don't, they don't, there's no collective positivity about love. Mm. You know, we, we always feel we need to check ourselves mm. because... Although having said because that... Because it is, what did you call it? Mm? Did you say cynicism? Yes. It's a kind of inbuilt cynicism that is in everybody post-Auschwitz, I think. I know what you mean. That, you know, somebody says, here's a happiness or, you know, here is the experience of God. Yeah, sure. And it's like, yeah, God, mm. are you serious? But it's interesting, though, because Where I think this... Are? No, but it's interesting. I think this, oh, for what it's worth, I think the generation that's coming up now, right? Yeah. The really young generation. Yeah. The ones that are like, let's say 16 yeah. to 16 at the moment, let's say to 27, 28 or something. Mm. I often see those, maybe Shane as well, you, you might, I often see the, those people express sort of physical affection and uh, uh, emotional mm. tenderness towards each other far more than we did at our ages. Absolutely. Do, do you get that, Shane? That yeah. the fact that there's, there, that there is a kind of a culture in, um, in our world at the moment where young people are allowed to be or because they've seen it so often other people talking about it, allowed to be tender mm. and emotion a little more emotionally raw yeah, and yeah. sensitive yeah. I, like I often see for example the physicality of young boys around each other yeah. men who are young adolescents yeah. yet they're they're well able to let's say touch each other or yeah. hold each other or give each other a hug yeah. and not in a hug in a kind of a machismo way but a hug in a loving way yeah. and do you know that kind of thing and I think that's really really sweet to see yeah. and nice to see so and maybe I think so it's very hopeful because maybe that's hopeful yeah. there's also it's worth mentioning I don't know how to pronounce his name do you know how to pronounce Eckhart Tolle? Uh, no I, I only know the name right 
And well, I think that would be the, probably my best guess of it. It's the, T-O-L-L-E, is it? Yeah, yeah, The Power of Now and all those yeah. books. But I mean, he consistently talks thematically about this sense of there's an awakening consciousness globally that in actual fact, even though we're seeing, you know, things wither and things change and things fall apart, that there is a huge awakening of consciousness that is really like it's a, mem- it's a momentum far bigger than any cultural wave. Mm. And it's, it, it crosses cultures and it, it, it manifests in huge different ways. And I think that is what you're seeing in very young people, that, that they have a level of sophisticated consciousness and compassion in ways that are actually new and fresh and will give you enormous hope for the future. Yeah. You know, that's the last word I'd always say on anything to do with any political issue, moral issue, Mm. philosophical issue, religion. I I say, what are young people doing? Mm. Trust them. Mm. They are completely trustable Mm. because they're carrying something. It's like a meme. Mm. You know, it's like a linguistic meme. Mm -hmm. It's like the way even the atheists, the, the atheists, new atheists, they talk about like, you know, God as being a meme. Mm. That it does almost this kind of, (laughs) you know, parasitic thing that it sucks people in for, you know, millennia Mm. as simply as an idea. Mm. And it's just a poisonous thing linguistically. (laughs) Um, That'd be, I think Tenet is the guy who talks about that. It's a good good idea. But, but it could also be that, that that's passe and that there is a deeper meme, you know, that there's that consciousness is, is also like that kind of, it's like the shape of the wave without the individual wave. Mm. That that history is processing in a way that we can't actually see it within the context mm. of just one culture or one time zone. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's awakening, something awakening all the time. You know what? Yeah. There's a few people on the phone or not on the phone, but on, the, on Zoom who want to talk to you, um, Michael. Is that okay? All, I hope you get all that bit in though. Which bit? And I'll the last bit. <laughs> oh, well, the the, the rats and preaching bit. I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No. Um, Someone on the phone, is there? There's a few people on Zoom who have been listening to into the conversation. Let them ask. And well, so Daniel O'Donnell is on the on, oh, the, is on he? the line for you. He'd love to say hello. Okay. Say hello to Daniel. Say hello to Daniel. Labra, Daniel. How are you doing? It's great to talk to you, Michael. Um, absolutely brilliant. Uh, do you know what? I love it when you talk about Donegal. Will you say a few words? Anything at all about Donegal? Any stories or... Any old shit at all about scones or sparrows or skylarks or bogs or anything? Tell us another story. Well, I know you're I haven't a clue what you're talking about now because <laughs> I don't speak the old Gaelic. But well, 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 who am I to a lorching Gaelic or Radio Nigel talked uh, only three weeks ago? So uh, yeah, I forgot it very quick because. <laughs> well, I was reading off an old script. Yeah, so would you just give us an old story there? I think you're a very good man, Daniel, and the people at Donegal have a great respect for you. Because because of the generosity of spirit that you show when there's, you know, uh, charity shows, gigs, That's things it. for the Donegal. Universal um, love. That's yeah, me. Yeah. No, uh, you're in there doing it. I'm in I there admire you. The Vietnamese fella in the flowers. Uh, that's myself. That's you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, that's right. That's great. Yeah. He, he was listening, you see. Yeah. Um, Michael O'Leary's on the phone. You'd like to say hello? Oh, yeah. Say hello to him. Hello, Michael. I love, I love your, your aeroplanes. Shut up for a second, will you? <laughs> I've been listening to this fucking podcast for the last hour into graves and burials and flowers and skylarks and bogs and clouds. But it actually is, funnily enough, sinking through. Some of it is actually sinking through. 
And I am actually realising that I am way, way too stressed out as an airline executive. So I'm asking you, how do I become a Buddhist? Three steps, please. Make it quick. Well, it'd be, it'd be flights, flights to Tibet. like sixteen ninety nine. Sixteen ninety nine special offer. Chicken and panini sandwiches, son? <laughs> no, you couldn't have chicken. Scones. Ah, uh, scones, scones and rice or something. That's no. great. So one-way flights to Tibet, yeah. leave half of Ireland over there. Yeah. And see how, what happens. Uh, That'd be good. Uh, or an airport in uh, Mullingar. Be nice. Outside my gaff? Yeah. You must be joking. Yeah, we small airport there now. Good luck. Mullingar. Had enough of you. I'm moving on to the other podcast. For the horses. Um, who else is on the line? Uh... Oh, yeah, that Blind Boy Boat Club is on the line. Right. Blind Boy Boat Club. Um, you can say hello to Blind Boy. Hello, Blind Boy. How are you doing? You cool man, yeah. You gorgeous man, yeah. How's it going, Michael? It's not going too good. This is Blind Boy Boat Club. Uh, you wouldn't mind if I ask you an old favour? Sure, Blind Boy. Anything you want. You know the way you talk about birds? I do. Ravens, skylarks uh, and all this. That's right, blind man. Do you not think you're encroaching on my territory just a little bit? Why would that be now, blind Because I talk a lot about animals. Uh, and how they're transcendent. And I think I'm even better at the bullshit than you are. Do you think so, blind boy? And I'd like you to stay away. From my territory. Okay, blind boy. Is that okay, Michael? Seeing that you have said it like that. You don't mind? I won't mention a bird. Okay. Ever again in my podcasts. That's nice. I hope people listen now to make sure that I don't mention any birds. That's perfect. No buzzards, corn cracks, ravens. I always love the sound behind your voice. Vice versa, Scober. Uh, Take it easy. That's great, blind boy. Absolutely <laughs> lovely, lovely. Um, who else is on the line? Um, Vincent Brown is on the line, actually. He'd like to say hello to you. Hello, Father. <clears throat> Father Vincent. All right, this is Vincent Brown. I'm calling from uh, Don Leary Nursing Home. <laughs> uh, what? Who, who, who the hell do you think you are? Where, where, how do you get away with this stuff? I How do you get away with this garbage? I don't know, Vincent. I, Answer the question. I don't know, Vincent. Answer the question. You and your, you and your universal love and your bald heads and your, your clouds and your... Uh, 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 what, what are you talking about? I used to love it when you had Mario on your programme. <laughs> oh, God. He was better than you and I used to listen to you only because then you'd find your man more funny. <laughs> Right. You're going all right. quiet now, Vincent. All right, all right, all right. That's the end of the show. Come on, same time, same place. <laughs> Ivan Yates and Matt Cooper are next. Thanks, Vincent. Um, Louis Walsh is on the line. Jesus. Say hello to Louis. Louis who? Louis Walsh. You know Louis Walsh? <laughs> no. Um, Louis Walsh, the, Louis. the, the manager, the, the bands. No. You don't know him? <laughs> Who's Louis Walsh? Do you know Louis Walsh? No. Do you know X Factor? I knew a Joe Walsh. Is he related to Joe Walsh? No, not the tour operator. No, but the fellow in King's Court. Huh? Joe Walsh Court, was, the, the, the Joe Walsh was a guitarist for the Eagles. Was he? Yeah. Joe Walsh? Yeah. I loved the Eagles. Yeah? What's your favourite Eagles song? Uh, is it Hotel California? Was that them? It is. Welcome to the Hotel California. Song by Jordan Peterson, yeah. Was that song by Jordan? <laughs> ah, no. Mm. 
Um, no, you don't know. You don't know Louis Walsh. No. Oh, fuck it. So I know I couldn't be arsed. We but leave it there. <laughs> I do. I'm Michael. Yeah. This is Louis Walsh. Oh, thank you. Michael, I've really, really enjoyed your podcast. And oh, thank I think, you. I think you could be huge. Oh, could I? I, I really, oh, thank you. No, no, no. I really oh, God. think. No, I'm, I'm crying. I really think I love your backstory. I love the illnesses. I love all of that. I'm I love the Jordan I, Peterson moment. No, no, I love the fact that you love love and thank that you love you. joy. I was wondering, would you be interested in starting a boy band for philosophers yeah, Think about yeah, it yeah. Imagine yourself, yourself Tommy Tiernan Sinead O'Connor Father Brian Darcy You're uh, going to be huge uh, You uh, could be huge You could uh, tour the oh, world Thank you Louis Thank you Louis Would you sign up Yes Louis <laughs> Oh anything Louis Thank you Louis That's great thank, Thanks thank, Thanks Michael Thank you Louis Beautiful And that is it Really Michael That's all I've, that's all I've got for you That's all I've got for you Thank you so much For your uh, Incredible company <laughs> And your warmth and your ah, givingness and um, your generosity of spirit. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. The flower. <laughs> it's very beautiful. Go into the garden and look at the flower. I have to listen to this now. <laughs> My thanks to Michael Harding for a fascinating, fascinating chat. As usual, he never fails to uh, deliver. Uh, also, thanks to Curry's. Get up there for the Black Tag sale. Curry's are flying at the moment. Thanks as ever to Curry's for their great support of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Uh, check me out on Twitter, at GiftGrubMario. Give us a rating. Uh, give us a review. Contact me personally, MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. I reply to everybody and I read them all myself. There's no kind of buffer. I read them all myself. Take care. See you same time, same place next week.